The time is now. Volume 1, Episode 19. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt. Last episode, I gave you Part 1 of my two-part sit-down interview with David Cohen, the founder and president of DCI Consulting, talking about all things having to do with internal pay equity audits and what your companies should be thinking about and really when they should be thinking about uh, when uh, to do uh, internal pay equity audits. We often talk uh, in this area of gender equity and the pay gap. We often talk about the federal and the state and the local initiatives on this issue. But before I get to part two of my interview, I want to put this gender pay equity thing into some global context. I just read an interesting report put out, uh, the Bloomberg Law BNA Employment Discrimination Report. Um, had a real interesting report. Um, about Jacinda Ardern, who at 37 years old is the world's youngest female leader. She is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Uh, And uh, the article goes on to talk about how her Labour government recently swept into power last month uh, based on a pledge, for the most part, to put this human face on capitalism and how her party is going to intervene to address some significant social failures, such as the treatment of women in the workplace. Uh, And the primary initiative there is tackling gender pay and uh, the gender gap issue head on. Um, I found it to be a real interesting report, and what was even more interesting to me was the ranking chart that Bloomberg put out in its report. New Zealand happens to rank ninth out of 144 countries in the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Report for 2017. And that really begs the question that I'm sure you all have right now, well, who's number one and where's the United States? So, uh, according to this gender gap report, out of the 144 countries that are identified here, the number one country is Iceland when it comes to gender parity. The United States, well, that comes in at number 49 out of 144 countries. So, the United States is certainly not at the bottom of the list. Um, But at 49, there certainly is a whole heck of a lot more that our country can do to uh, minimize this gender pay gap. So in the last uh, podcast episode, we talked a little bit about what gender pay audits are, why companies like yours should be thinking about doing them, and when you should be thinking about doing them. Today, I want to give you the second of the two parts of my interview with David Cohen to get a little bit more into the nuts and bolts, a little bit more into the weeds of how to go about doing these gender pay equity audits when you've decided to uh, make that move and uh, engage somebody to help you get started with that. So I hope you find it interesting. Here is part two with David Cohen of DCI Consulting. So we've gotten to the point now, David, where we've talked about 
what the issue is these days in 2017 when it comes to uh, gender gaps and pay equity. Uh, we've talked about why a company should really think about uh, doing a pay equity audit um, and some of the things that go into an initial discussion that you have when you are contacted by a company. I want to get into the practical weeds now. What are some of the nuts and bolts of how a company should conduct a pay equity audit? Great. So what are the kinds of things you talked about in response to our last question, um, some of the documents, some of the interviews that you would be doing. Walk us through sort of the first steps. Now you've been engaged to assist with a pay equity audit. What are the things you're specifically looking for and looking to get from a company from an information standpoint that would help you? Yeah, so what here, here's what most employers do, um, you know, and it's, it's you know, crawl before you walk, meaning <laughs> what, what we find is that, you know, the first year that you do this, right, you're not going to analyze every form of compensation, although we could, what, what we find, you know, we find is that if you just look at base, and if base is clean, then then usually merit is, is, is clean, and bonus is clean, and, and obviously, you know, the more uh, standardized and objective the compensation practice, uh, the less likely that there is bias involved. But the first thing to think about is what are you going to analyze? Is it just base or is it uh, other forms of compensation? Um, I would say 75% of the time when we do these studies, it's just base pay. Um, other times, employers add things like bonus. Uh, performance ratings because if we if you pay for performance uh, what we you know that that's driving the merit increase and what we'll look at is we'll look at merit both from a percent increase and an absolute dollar amount and then if a lot of your compensation is made up of let's say stock and stock options uh, we can also look at that so kind of framing the outcome uh, and what we want to look at, uh, whether it's just base or other forms of comp, that, that we would have that conversation as well. Is there a danger in just limiting the, uh, the, the discussion to what base pay is? You know, I don't think it's a, it's a danger. Um, I think it's just a piece of the puzzle, and it's the biggest piece of the puzzle. Um, so, so that's why I always say start with, with base. Now, here's one thing I wouldn't do, and I've seen this done, and it's a mistake, where employers say, you know, I really want to look at the whole enchilada. And so let's look at W-2 earnings. Mm -hmm. That's a problem, because how do I standardize the data? Um, you know, if I've been working, I'm an engineer, and I've been working for a year, and my base is 100 and I've been given a bonus of $20,000. Uh, I have a very uh, uh, nice employer um, <laughs> and stock. And yet you were hired the day before uh, the, the, the data was pulled in the snapshot. Well, you weren't eligible for those other forms of compensation. So right away, it's going to look like we're making very different amounts when in fact, it's just that you're not eligible for those other forms of compensation. So I don't like lo looking at uh, W-2 or total comp because uh, you've got the issue of eligibility. You also have the issue of people being hired during the year. Um, 
So, so I, I would caution folks who want to do W2, which, by the way, is why I think the, the EEOC's EEO1 Component 2 report was ultimately killed because they were trying to analyze W2 data and you just can't do it. Do you find that even when you're engaged by a company and you, you go in to start, uh, that you still meet with some resistance or reluctance to give up information regarding these issues? You mean just in terms of the, the data um, and yeah. confidentiality? Yeah, do you find that they're sort of holding back on you, that they want to give you some pieces of it, but they're afraid to, to really give you, you know, whatever is out there uh, from a pay decision standpoint, memos, financial information? Do you, do you still find there's some pushback on, uh, on that once you're even in there? I, you know, I, I don't. Um, I, I think, you know, because we have a team put together and we make it clear, we are on your team. Um, we're, we're not here to judge. We're not. We're just working with you to objectively find an issue, uh, uh, and 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 if it is, we'll we'll point it out. Now, certainly, and this gets interesting. Uh, if there has been some wrongdoing, um, let's say, and comp was involved in that, um, then we, you know, the, the, there could be some reluctance to turn over certain parts of, of the data, but that rarely, rarely happens. Okay, and you mentioned uh, in the first part of our discussion here, you referred to um, a specific program uh, that you had developed for doing these kinds of audits, and you referred to statistics. What role does statistics play both in identifying problems as well as in defending a challenge to a company's pay gap? It's everything. Um, you know, first, let's be clear. When you're doing these types of studies, we're not doing an Equal Pay Act analysis. These are not Equal Pay Act studies. You know, because remember, Equal Pay Act, you're looking at substantially, you know, equal jobs, and you're not looking at whether there are statistical differences. Uh, you're just kind of eyeballing the data. So we're not doing an Equal Pay Act analysis. This is a Title Seven pattern or practice type of analysis where we're using statistics um, to identify a quote-unquote manifest imbalance. Um, Explain what you mean a little bit more than that because you've already said um, that there are different goals that you can be accomplishing with these audits, um, but certainly there are different laws that touch on this issue of pay equity uh, and, and um, you know gender pay gaps. What did you mean when you just said that the analysis that you might do for a Title VII is different than an equal pay kind of audit? And again, I always I, I want to be uh, not so legal for purposes of our listeners, um, but I think it's important to distinguish the types of audits from a law standpoint that you're talking about doing. Yeah. So so once again, right under the Equal Pay Act, it's substantially equal jobs, and uh, any difference is actionable. So Jane. Uh, John uh, is an electrical engineer in Department X, and he makes uh, $50,000. And Jane is an electrical engineer in Department X, the same department, same working conditions. And if there's a $5 difference in pay, that's actionable. But that's not what we're doing here. We are looking to see, you know, under a pattern or practice theory, I'm looking at the average salary of men in comparison to the average salary of women after controlling for legitimate non-discriminatory variables so education performance time things like that after controlling for those things I've got a difference between protected groups 
that is statistically significant. Um, you know, using a two standard deviation rule, which basically says to me as the researcher or as the, uh, the employer, I am 95% confident that the observed salary differences between men and women did not occur by chance. Something out there is causing it. And that's what we're doing. We're going to use statistics to explore um, whether or not that can be justified or uh, it can't be justified. And, and let me just add a little caveat to that. I, ju I just wrote a, a, a paper on this about you know making salary adjustments. And you walk a fine line uh, because think about it. I'm doing a, a pay equity study, and if I uh, find quote-unquote issues, I'm going to remedy and make adjustments to your salary. And there's a really good Supreme Court case that says it's the Ricci decision to say, if you do something like this, you need a strong basis in evidence, right, to justify a remedy based solely on sex, for example. So I need a strong basis, a sound statistical study with the groupings that are appropriate, a regression analysis that controls for the major factors to then say we've got statistical significance between groups. Let's explore that. If we can't justify it, we're going to remedy it. And what are some of the things you would look for to try to defend pay differences that exist? Yeah, so it, 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 th this is where uh, a lot of the, the, the art comes in and not the science. There's no one-size-fits-all. Every industry is different. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, we had a big defense contractor. Uh, we did a study. And we got down to, we've got meaningful differences between men and women in a group. And it's statistically significant. And guess what? You know, what? Uh, it ended up being security clearance, which is not readily available in the data. But those folks who had a top secret clearance, right, got a bump in salary uh, versus those that that did not. So think, you know, it, 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 that that's why, um, you know, you're working with compensation to say here are the jobs. And what I like to do is give them people that are really highly paid and people that are really on the low end. And I say to cop or I say to the manager, tell me why. Tell me the story about why these people are making what they're making at a high end and why these people are making what they're making on a low end. And usually it gets the manager thinking and, 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 and you'll get things like, we had an acquisition. Okay, that may uh, affect comp. We've uh, downsized and, and people, uh, their, they, um, uh, their, their title changed. Um, and and but they kept their old self. So there's all different types of things, red circles. Uh, but that's what we're trying to explore uh, and get to the bottom with. And when you're conducting these kinds of audits, and we also touched on this a little bit in the first part, should these studies be conducted under attorney-client privilege? And what's the best way uh, to do that? Assuming your answer is yes. Yes. So I am not okay. a lawyer. I am not a lawyer. Um, I don't pretend to be a lawyer. If I do this study and just slap on a, a footnote that says protected under privilege, <laughs> it's not protected under privilege. You need a lawyer involved. Um, and I, I'll tell you, I won't do this unless I have a lawyer working with me. Um, because I've been involved in situations where I've done a study, 
I provided le- uh, 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 my, my work to, to legal, who then in return uh, provided advice to the client. Well, guess what? We got hit with a class action, the company got hit with a class action lawsuit, and the plaintiffs tried to subpoena all of my work, all of my communication, all of my recommendations, uh, and, and that was protected under privilege. So I need to be able to do this for you um, to, to look at the data, to run uh, uh, appropriate uh, uh, models, give you the advice, and all of this is protected under privilege. So it, it really is very important. Is it going to be something that's protected under privilege if the company is relying on the existence of this audit um, as a defense to any pay differences that may be existing? Well, I think that's right. That becomes a, a legal question of, and, and this is what our, our clients experience all the time. I'm, I'm involved in an OFCCP dust up, and OFCCP is claiming that I discriminated, but I, then I have this proactive analysis that says I'm clean. You know, do I waive the privilege to put forward a very nice, well put together study that says we have no uh, problems? Uh, I've never been involved. Um, in all my years where, where where the company has lost privilege, I know that there have been cases uh, where uh, uh, companies have, have lost the privilege when doing these types of study, uh, and that's because too many people were involved, um, everything was stamped privilege. Um, so keep the, you know, my advice, keep the team really tight. Um, the data, well, that's not gonna be privilege, but everything that I do for you and send to you that needs to be under privilege. And certainly you can't make that uh, judgment call at the end of the day whether to rely on the privilege or waive the privilege uh, if if you didn't act in a way that made it privileged in the first place. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you're better off having sort of the legal participation in this uh, so then you can make that determination as a company down the road. Do you want to rely on it or do you want to be able to affirmatively waive the privilege if, if that's more beneficial to you? Yep. So when we're talking about the interactions that you have doing this audit with the uh, in-house folks, is this just a one-time kind of conversation and meeting at the beginning of this and then, you know, we sort of throw you and your team into a room to, to crunch the numbers and, and input this stuff into your program? Tell me a little bit about how this is working logistically on an ongoing basis, how long these audits tend to take uh, to the extent you could generalize. Yeah, so so what, what we typically tell the client is once we receive data, um, and resolve the data issues that you can expect a study like this, or now certainly depending on the size of the organization and the complexity of it, four to six weeks. Um, and what, 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 if you think about the project timeline, right, one, uh, we get retained uh, by legal with that Upjohn letter, two, then we're meeting with compensation uh, and legal to understand the compensation system. Three, now I'm getting the data, and then we are off uh, here doing two things. One, putting together similarly situated employee groupings. How do we group the employees together for purposes of analysis? And then we're running the, the analysis, package that up, and then at the, at the end, or depending on what we found, it could be the middle of the project, uh, presenting those results to legal and the client um, and then from there, if we're 100% clean, we're done. 
if there are groups where we've got some hot spots, we're doing more research, collecting more data, running additional regression analyses uh, till we hit the point where we've run this thing to ground. Uh, statistically, we've controlled for the major factors, but we still have statistical differences. In terms of some of the controls that you've talked about, um, education, um, sort of day-to-day -day job functions, what these people do or don't do from a comparator standpoint, are you relying on what management and the C-suite is telling you, or are you doing any interviews with any of the rank-and-file employees as part of this? Um, yeah, I mean, usually we are talking to, to management um, and, and getting an understanding of what what we find though sometimes which then legal needs to opine on this is you know if management comes back and says well I can tell you this Bill and John got a ten thousand dollar bump in salary because uh, they got a PhD last year and then I have two women who also you know received their PhD last year that didn't uh, get a bump that's really hard to justify. So certainly, you know, if you have pay practices like we pay for education, or um, you really need to be consistent. Because uh, if you're not consistent, uh, I, I think it's going to be problematic. Certainly in, in, in litigation or an audit. Uh, uh, so so that that has to be key. The factors that are being used have to be consistently applied. Okay, and so you've done this audit and you've gone through this process from, uh, as you said, the, the chronology of step one uh, all the way through uh, to giving them this final report. The company conducts this pay audit and you reach the conclusion that there are some problems. What are some of the best practices to remedy those problems that have been identified? Yeah, so, so here's where it, um, uh, it gets interesting is what do you do with the results? Um, now, I think it's easy, my advice, it's easy to tell you uh, to, to not do it uh, and, then, and then just put it on the shelf. That's the worst thing that you can do. Um, I think what, what we would do now working with the client, and we would use statistics to do this, uh, regression analysis can help you really do two things. One identify and, and uh, whether or not there's a difference between groups, but also I can use that regression to predict your salary. So I can say, okay, Michael, um, you know, your, your salary uh, uh, is $40,000 a year. The regression model, taking into account the factors that the company pays for, the regression model will tell me how much you should be making. And then what we're doing, so maybe the regression says you should be making 50,000. Uh, what we're then doing is looking for statistical outliers, people that are well below the regression line or their prediction um, to then moving them up. Uh, and that, w uh, it's a very objective uh, way to, to uh, uh, make salary uh, adjustments. Now, one caveat, this is always interesting, um, and I wrote about this in my paper. What do you do if you find that there are statistical differences, let's say, and men are disfavored or whites are disfavored? Um, our advice is you would act, uh, uh, act upon those as well. 
um, and and potentially, you know, run some additional analyses and 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 uh, possibly salary adjustments. Um, so it truly is a equity study, uh, and and you're just saying anywhere we have statistical differences between groups that can't be justified, doesn't matter what protected group you're in. Uh, we will look to make adjustments. So if we have somebody out there listening to this and uh, wants a copy of your paper, um, I assume if they uh, email me uh, or uh, post a message or a question on our website, uh, would you be happy to provide a copy of this? Yeah, absolutely. And it makes for a very good summer beach read. It's very (laughs) exciting. What about a holiday, (laughs) nice holiday gift? I'll put it in, wrap a bow on it and hand it out, put it in the, uh, the stockings. People love it. It would have been real awkward if you had just said no you don't want to give them out it would have, <laughs> would have had some radio silence there for a moment um, yeah. but, but uh, so, so certainly if anyone out there is listening what's the name of the paper by the way oh I, uh, it is the there uh, we go see now I asked one too many questions <laughs> It, I, I think it's the art and the whimsy of salary adjustments. Got it. Okay, but you'll but if someone's asking for the paper that you're referencing, you'll know what we're talking about. It, it, yeah, it's it's up on uh, my website, but uh, I'm happy to uh, to to pre- yeah. It is I just I just pulled it out. It's the science, art, and whimsy of making salary adjustments following a proactive pay equity study. That's a mouthful. Let me tell you something. I mean, it's either buying the Apple iPhone X or giving that as a gift. You know, I know which way I'm going. I mean, my kids love it. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about market studies and setting, uh, I guess, salary and, and compensation. From what you were just talking about, using the statistics to do this objectively, does that mean that companies should not rely at all on uh, the kind of studies that they tend to use traditionally? And that is, what are other companies in the same industry doing about starting salaries. I mean, there are certainly antitrust uh, and yeah. other legal issues uh, regarding doing that, but you hear all the time using market surveys and, and yeah. similar types of documents. Is, is what you just said um, a, an argument toward not using those types of uh, analysis? No, a- absolutely not. Um, I, and we, we would strongly encourage employers to use salary surveys because uh, they're very helpful uh, for determining market pricing of jobs. So, you know, you, you, you have, that's one exercise that COMP will do every year. They collect salary surveys, they're doing market pricing. Most of our clients, when, when uh, you ask them, they, they do pay according to the market and they, they map their jobs to, to market pricing. We'll even include that as a regression variable if we have to. Uh, so, but, but, when two people are doing the same job, they're going to have the same market price. Um, it's just when there are huge differences between how men and women are being paid, let's say, within that market pricing. That's when it becomes an issue. Interesting. And as long as we're talking about uh, risks uh, when it comes to identifying problems and either remedying or not remedying them, and and you talked um, at some length here about the risk of doing an analysis, finding uh, unexplained differences and not doing anything about it, what are some of the risks with actually making a public disclosure of an existing wage gap? I mean, in order to to do something about some differences that you found as a result of this audit, you're obviously telling people, if not externally, certainly internally at the company, um, that there is an existing um, unaccounted for wage gap. What are some of the risks with making that kind of public disclosure? 
Yeah, it's it's a gr it's a great question, um, and like you've said, I mean, we're we're seeing employers, whether it's you know because they're getting pressure from shareholders, their board, their employees to release the wage gap, um, that they do these studies and then put it out there. There there are a couple of questions that are raised about that. One, you know, are you just asking for trouble? Are you asking for plaintiffs? to then follow up and, and, and want more information. Are you, are you waiving privilege by publicly right, releasing the results of your study? But here's the other thing to think about. And so let's say I do these, this, these share, I call them shareholder wage gap studies where I put out, uh, you know, we pay 99 cents to the dollar. And I feel good about that. So we only have a one cent difference between men and women. But now the cat's out of the bag. And what happens next year? I'm going to get pressure to release my numbers again. And no fault of your own. And you, you, nothing has changed from year one to year two, except that I've had an acquisition and I've acquired another company. And they pay very differently than I pay. And now all of a sudden I lump our data together next year, and now I'm at 90 cents, 97 cents to the dollar. Well, guess what? Now that I publish that, the public's going to say, you're going in the wrong direction. Your wage gap actually grew from year one to year two, and that is completely out of your control. That's a risk. And so how do you... Uh address a company that says you know that's that's too much of a risk for me that that's just making things worse than uh, when I started yeah and I, and I think a lot of companies now are rethinking uh, publishing these wage gap studies um, until there's federal law or state law compelling them to release the results uh, most of my clients are not uh, uh, releasing these public wage gap studies, um, and but they are. I want to be clear. Uh, they are proactively conducting these studies uh, and these Title VII type studies internally, finding a problem and fixing them. They're just not making that public to the world. Uh, I, and, and one more thing, I'm involved in two matters now. Uh, public universities love to do this. They love to do these pay equity studies and mm -hmm. then put it up on the university website. Uh, they're being used against the university in litigation. Interesting. Um, so what about the messaging aspect of this? I mean, you, you, you find uh, some issues that need to be remedied. Uh, you get to the point where you accept that you are going to develop some strategy for remedying any of these problems. you have any thoughts on the kind of messaging, whether it's timing of the messaging, content of the messaging, to your workforce at the time that you are remedying these things? Yeah. And uh, you know, th th this is where you need to be smart about it because, as I said earlier, uh, what you don't want to do is do some sort of off-cycle and then send out uh, letters to folks that says, we just did a pay equity study and here's a $5,000 bump. You have to assume that employees are going to talk. That's the new world that we live in. Um, you know, where, whereas you, know, you and I came up in a world where you'd never talk to your peer about your pay. 
it now is widely discussed. So what we would recommend is once again, I, I like doing this doing the normal merit cycle, right? So we're rolling out uh, merit increases, you're getting that letter, and what we do is we roll it in to say not, uh, in addition to merit increase, you're gonna get a 3% bump. Uh, we've done some market research and other studies, and uh, we've identified uh, uh, that your salary is going to be adjusted and you just roll that into the normal communication. Have you seen companies uh, doing that in conjunction with a release? I have not. I, I think uh, if, you, if you did that, um, you're probably asking for trouble. <laughs> you're, raise, you're raising the same kind of flags, if not more, than, as you said before, doing it on an off cycle. You got it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, and, and so to come full circle here with uh, some of the things you started talking about uh, at the beginning of the first session uh, when we were giving some context and some history of this, um, you talked about the trend of legislation that's been passed to try to address the pay equity issue by prohibiting, in at least one case, prohibiting employers from asking about prior salary. Uh, and it's been a whole topic of discussion with employers, whether it's uh, written applications, whether it's actual uh, on-the-job job interviews. What have you seen that employers are doing in response to those laws which are taking away from them the ability to rely on prior salary in many cases? Yeah, you know, we I, I just did a session last week on this issue um, and I had a panel of employers that uh, uh, we led a facil uh, facilitated and what we're finding is most employers are across the board, across the U.S., removing uh, uh, salary or prior salary from the application form, regardless of whether or not they're, you know, they're in a state that bans it. Because the thinking is this, one, uh, it, it, it's going to happen, you know, in terms of more states uh, are, are considering banning prior salary. Um, so I think you can you can assume that it's going to happen. Two, you've got cities that are passing. Um, you've got federal that at some point will probably pass something that's it. So so bottom line, we're seeing employers stop asking for it, training their recruiters and hiring managers to stop asking about it. But here's the kicker. The laws do not preclude you from asking an applicant uh, what his or her salary expectation is. So, because the concern has been, well, I don't want to get deep into the interview process with, with an applicant only to find out, you know, my job pays 80000 and this applicant's thinking 120000 So, you can engage the applicant in a discussion early on and say, what are your salary expectations of the job? Um, and, and like I said, if you're paying 80000 and this person wants 150000 I, I think it's pretty safe to say they're probably not going to take your job. What the last thing I'll say about it is we are seeing that uh, employers are moving towards objective, standardized salary matrix, uh, a salary matrix that uh, help define the starting salary. So you think through, you know, what are the things that are important? Is it education? Is it prior experience? Is it certification? Taking all of those things together and, and putting a salary matrix 
uh, where uh, it will tightly define what the salary, starting salary uh, that, that you'll offer. I, mean, I think you're going to see more of that, and I think you're going to see employers that are going to develop algorithms that are going to make this completely objective. I think that's the future. That's interesting. I mean, certainly you have a um, a passion for all of these uh, issues and what you're doing. What was it that uh, got you to start uh, DCI Consulting? You know, I I started I started this company uh, in 2001. Uh, my background is I'm an industrial psychologist, so I studied uh, the work workforce. I studied statistics. I studied employment law. And I, 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 and probably around 1998, OFCCP started to go and look at uh, compensation, and I just developed a passion for it, and I love it. It's interesting. It's a great field to be in right now, and more importantly, and I said this one time to to the government, what we here do at DCI, right? We probably. Uh, uh, work with employers to make more salary adjustments in the pay equity <laughs> context than the entire U.S. government, um, and and that you know that makes us feel pretty good that that we're working with our clients. We're 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 an honest broker in it, uh, and if there's a problem, we're going to help you to fix it. And if there's not a problem, we're going to help you fight an allegation uh, of of discrimination when there isn't. And do, do you get involved with uh, the companies on the litigation side beyond doing these internal audits? Do you get involved when it comes to defending uh, lawsuits? We do. Um, they're, they're not as fun as the proactive side, but uh, <laughs> um, we do do a lot of litigation support, um, working on a lot of OFCCP matters right now and some high-profile pay equity cases uh, and working on some private uh, uh, litigation Title VII cases, um, as well as California Fair Pay Act, uh, which which uh, uh, those cases are starting to trickle in. So, oh sure. Well, I mean, I've seen you uh, speak, so um, I've I've seen the sort of passion that you have for this uh, beyond uh, just uh, speaking with us on this podcast. And it's one thing to have the background and the knowledge, um, but as I always say, you have to be able to communicate it in a way that's understandable and uh, not just overly legalistic. So I really appreciate um, you being able to do that uh, for the podcast listeners. Uh, David, do you have any parting shots? to leave our listeners of uh, primarily in-house counsel and HR professionals with on the issue of pay equity and pay audits? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, 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 thanks for having me do this. This was a lot of fun. really enjoyed it. Uh, parting thoughts would be engage in these types of studies. Do it. Um, you know, uh, uh, if you've never done it before, I know the first year is tough, uh, but, but you do it. Make sure you have the expertise uh, in place. Make sure you have... Uh, a legal counsel that understands uh, Title VII, the Equal Pay Act, these types of uh, 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 studies. Uh, engage in it with a consultant that knows how to run these studies. And if you find a problem, fix it. Uh, and like I said, the first year is the toughest. After that, it's smooth sailing. That's great. David Cohen from DCI Consulting Group. Um, as so many uh, of these employment law issues tend to uh, be, uh, things are developing weekly, monthly, daily almost. So yes. hopefully uh, you'll come back and talk with us as things develop in this area as well. Love to. Thank you so much for, uh, for all your time today, and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much.
I thought he was terrific, and I hope you did too. I hope this was helpful and uh, give you some food for thought to bring back to your companies on this gender pay equity audit issue. That's all the time I have for today's episode, um, but I have a sense that something is coming right around the corner in terms of a new special episode. Keep your eyes and ears open, everybody. Until then, thank you so much for listening and continuing to come back to this podcast, and I hope all your labor is productive.